This is the Bates Bobcast, our weekly podcast where we take a look at the week that was in Bates Athletics. My name is Aaron Morse, and this week we are celebrating the women's first varsity eights triumph at the 54th head of the Charles Regatta. Plus, the football team's offense came alive at Middlebury, and the volleyball team went undefeated at the Hall of Fame tournament. All that and more coming up on the Bates Bobcast. The rowing teams competed at the 54th annual Head of the Charles Regatta on Sunday, with Bates entering four boats. The men's first varsity eight finished 22nd out of 35 boats. The women's varsity four finished 13th out of 40 entries. And the women's second varsity eight took 11th place out of 28 crews. But it was the women's first varsity eight that turned in the performance of the day, taking first place for the second straight year in the collegiate eights. Led by sophomore Cox and Liza Folsom, Bates outpaced runner-up Williams by more than 20 seconds. And for her efforts steering the first varsity eight to victory, Liza Folsom is our female Bobcat of the week. Yeah, it was really exciting. It was not that different from last year's. The attitude was all the same. We were all really excited and really hopeful um, about the result. But, yeah, it was definitely very exciting coming down bound number one, which was completely new for me. Yeah, so just people who don't know, that means you go first, right? Yeah. yeah. So you're the first one in the race. You don't know what's kind of going on necessarily when you cross the finish line. What's that like, you know, mentally? Um, I mean, we talked a lot about it bef- um, in the practices before because we really had to think about pushing ourselves even though there was no one right next to us pushing us. And so it was a lot of we kind of relying on ourselves to make ourselves faster because not only is there no one in front of you to move up on, but you can barely see the people behind you. So it's hard to use them to push you. So it was a lot of internal motivation, I think, coming from our boat, which was great. How much separation is there, like, between when you start and when the next boat goes? Um, I'd say maybe, like, 10 seconds. I'm not okay. sure. It's probably three lengths of open water between mm-hmm. you and the boat behind you. So it's hard to gauge how far they are. Yeah. I mean, once they're closer to you, you can see. But if they're that far away, like, I'll look back, and I couldn't tell if they had moved on us or not. So. Yeah. So for a coxswain, this is obviously a completely different challenge than in the spring when you're really watching out for those other boats, kind of. Um, in terms of the steering and whatnot, what's that like for a coxswain? Because that, that that really gets a chance for you to kind of shine almost, right? Yeah, we – all the coxswains on the team, like all the women's coxswains, all the men's coxswains, we have to, like, study the course the week before, and we had a meeting, and we talked about it. And it's, yeah, definitely very interesting, and I think more fun for the coxswains in the fall, in these fall races, rather than in the spring Um yeah, you have to plan your turns. You have to know when you're going to start your turn. You have to tell your rowers to go harder on one side or lighter on the other. So, um, yeah, it's a lot of studying, a lot of thinking ahead to when you want to turn and how you want to do it. What's maybe the trickiest part of this course? Um, I think there's this one bridge called Weeks Bridge, which I find the most difficult because um, the turn and the bridge aren't – there's a turn, and then partway through the turn there's a bridge – but you have to finish turning by the time you go through the bridge. And it's just kind of a little bit of an illusion almost because it looks like you need to turn through the bridge, but you actually need to turn before it. And so you really have to know like how far out you should swing, and then you have to start your turn at a specific point, and it's kind of hard to gauge because it's kind of in the mid- middle of the race, and I don't know, there's a lot of, lot of, of other things happening. So, yeah. 
For sure. And then um, you, you raced on the Charles you mentioned in high school once. Um, so you came, you came in here last year, raced again. So this is your third time racing on the Charles. What, how's it changed each time for you? Does it get easier or um, the conditions are obviously a little bit different this year, right? Yeah, I'd say this time steering the course was the hardest time I've had. Because oh. when I coxed in high school, I was in a men's four, which is obviously a little different than a women's eight. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, with the win this year and everything it was a bit more difficult because in a four it's much easier to steer like the boat responds more to how you're steering but in the eight you really have to tell rowers to power up to get around the turns so i think it was the most difficult this year because you're trying to turn one way but the wind's pushing you another so it was pretty difficult and the 1v this year a mix of rowers you've worked with basically all of them so what's the dynamic like with this new boat at least so far it, it's such a fun boat. We have a great time together. Even when we were walking around the race course before, like we're all joking around, having a great time, and we were so excited for this race. Like we've been, we've been thinking about it, talking about it ever since day one of the season. So it was really exciting, really rewarding to, I don't know, cross the line with them. Do you share any tips? You mentioned the film watching. Did you share any tips with you know um, Elise or uh, Maya or Aiden about what it takes? You know, it was probably what probably their first times on this um i think it was only elise's first time yeah yeah and aiden's but um we all kind of combined our knowledge and helped each other out like maya knew i feel like way more than i did on this course and so it was really helpful to have all four of them and even though elise and aiden hadn't done the course before they had still done research and so they still knew things that i didn't about the course so having three other people to talk about racing with was definitely helpful and comforting yeah we were rowing right through the heart of boston right and so peter says there's hundreds of thousands of people at any given time possibly do you notice the crowds along the shores at all yeah you definitely do especially when especially on the warm-up we were warming up and hannah debrew and the coxswain from last year she was standing like alone on one of the turns and she was just screaming at us and we weren't even racing yet and so we were all smiling and laughing it was really like heartwarming to see her and then a bunch of other alumni that came on the side and I could see them the rowers hopefully couldn't see them because they were looking in the boat but I glanced over and I saw them all standing there cheering for us and it's definitely very like comforting to know that you have so many people supporting you and I don't know wanting you to do well and yeah it was great for sure so the race ends you have to kind of sit around and wait right yeah, I mean, they make you cool down for a little bit, yeah. so you have to paddle it down and turn around. And so we crossed the line, and the first part of the race had been a little bit rough because of the wind, but by the end, the wind had calmed down, so it was going pretty well. And so we crossed the line after a big sprint, like the sprint was great. And so we didn't really say much. We were just kind of paddling it down together, and then we turned around, came back to the dock. And as we were coming in, um, Mitch, the men's assistant coach, was standing on the dock. And I was like, Mitch, how'd we do? Like, do you know? And she was holding up a finger, like one and yeah. we were like what like what do you mean because i didn't know that that's what she was talking about we we're like what do you mean she's like oh you won you won like the, all the results haven't come in yet but like we're pretty sure you won <laughs> we were like what are you serious and there was a lot of screaming on the dock and then we had to calm ourselves down because they weren't the results weren't official right, yet weren't official, but yeah. so it wasn't until we put the boat down one of the we asked one of the parents that was standing by the boat it's like oh how'd we do and she was like oh you won and then yeah then it, we went a little crazy so now with the head of charles wrapped up what's the rest of the fall season like for you i think we only have a week or a week and a half left we have mm-hmm. um cbb in next weekend which will be really fun to have one more race and we have a couple more fun practices like on thursday we're all gonna race each other have a bobcat cup of okay. sorts but um yeah, I, only about a week left, which is really sad. Now, I know the rowers in the winter are on the ergs constantly getting ready for the spring. As a coxswain, what are you doing during the winter to maybe prepare? 
I mean, we'll we'll be working out with them. There's a lot less you can do when you're on <laughs> land as a coxswain, but right. when they're on the ergs, we'll cox them like how we do in the boat and just to keep them together and motivate them. But yeah, you can't really practice your steering <laughs> on <Yeah. laughs> on land. So, so go back to the head of Charles real quick for the last question here, because I mean, it is it is so famous, especially in New England and in the world of rowing. You know, you grew up in California, right? Mm-hmm. And so you probably. I mean, you raced it in high school, but before that, even when you probably knew about it, what makes it so special in your opinion? Um, I just think the different levels of people are there. Like I saw a bunch of friends from my high school, but I also saw a bunch of Olympians there. So it's a big range of people. And also, um, everyone that comes out makes it even more special. Like there are alumni, the families there. And then even I saw a bunch of Bates people that didn't that don't even row were there, like people in my grade and stuff. And so I don't know, it's just so great having such support for you there because there's so many people so there's so many more bait supporters which is awesome terrific well Liza Folsom our female bobcat of the week thanks so much thank you after falling to Bowdoin and Middlebury last week the Bates men's soccer team needs to defeat or tie Colby Wednesday at 8 p.m. on Garcelon Field in order to qualify for the NASCAC tournament right before that match the field hockey team takes on Colby at 6 p.m. on Campus Avenue Field and for the fourth straight year Bates must win to qualify for postseason play. Meanwhile, the football team has a big game with the Mules this weekend as well, as Bates looks to defend its CBB title. Kickoff is set for 1 p.m. at Garcelon Field, and things are looking up for the Bobcats after they took Middlebury to the wire last Saturday, falling 35-34. Sophomore quarterback Brendan Costa tossed a career-high three touchdown passes, and Bates rallied from 22 points down to pull within one. But a late interception sealed the win for Middlebury. Head coach Malik Hall looks back on the Bobcats' closest game of the season so far. Fifth quarter here on the Bates Bobcats with the head coach of the Bobcats, Malik Hall. And Coach Hall, one-point loss at Middlebury uh, this past weekend, the most points the team has scored since 2014 in a single game. Uh, it was being asked on Twitter by some fans. Uh, I'm sure you've been thinking about it yourself this weekend, so I'll get it right out of the way. If you had to do it over again, down by two, do you go for two after that touchdown instead of going for one with eight minutes left? Um, I'm a firm believer in not chasing points. Um, and because the team that we have, I want to build everything that we can build positive. Any positive action that we can create on that field, especially being that we were in the fourth quarter playing well, was the only concern I had. Um, so, you know, if you look at look back at it, hindsight's twenty twenty. We don't get the two points. Now, it was a two-point situation, which ultimately the field goal, we had an opportunity to win with a field goal two times within eight minutes. Um, So, you know, if you fast forward to how you have to come out of not getting an extra point offensively and how that energy handled, how you handle that energy defensively, like going going for two with eight minutes left in the game and we have the big mo, the big momentum. Like not getting it slows your momentum. But if you go through process and protocol, kick it until now we're at the end and definitively we have to. We have to do something different to win the game, um, which ultimately resulted in the last, you having the ball last, having to get a stop last. I think everything that we wanted to happen in that game happened. Um, regardless whether we went for two or not. But for me, it's about keeping momentum. And, you know, the field goal, kicking extra point is one point. 
trying to go for two to tie it. Yeah, we could have been in a tie game, and it could have been in an overtime. Um, but again, there's a negative result that can come from that that can stop the momentum that we've captured in the fourth quarter. And not to mention, this was the best second half we played throughout the whole year. So why put something, an element in there by chasing one point that was going to come down to the end anyway um, when we're riding high? When you're riding high, ride high. And sometimes doing too much or, i.e., chasing points is a way that you can buzz kill it all and can swing the pendulum of momentum back to the defense or back to the opponent by just by them not allowing you to tie it up. Um, so that was where I felt um, I believed in the team for four quarters. They played four quarters, and um, ultimately we talk about playing four quarters, having a chance to win the game in the fourth quarter, and um, I, I think we did that not once but twice within eight minutes. So the other part is to not panic, to not feel pressured, to keep poised, and those are all of the elements that I'm talking to our team about. And um, to rush to go for two and you got eight minutes left on the clock and our, defenses, our defense only gave up one touchdown in the second half um, and for that matter has been making them punt and we were turning it over. Um, there's no reason to force anything. Let the game play itself out and let your team play. Defensively, what was the biggest difference you noticed from the start of the game where Middlebury was spread out to that 22-point lead to down the stretch where, as you mentioned, they got some key stops? You know, uh, whenever you give up big plays, it's hard to win. It's, it's too hard to win, and it's certainly too hard to win when you give up big plays. Giving up the third and 15 naked across the middle of the field, like, that's not a coverage. In fact, like, that's not a defense. That's a mental lapse. And and whenever you have a mental lapse like that on third and fifteen, one, it doesn't look good defensively, and it certainly doesn't it doesn't make any impact for confidence in the first half for our offense to rally behind us because that's when you're supposed to be getting off the field. That's when the advantage is to the defense. And for that to end in a seventy five, eighty yard touchdown, whatever the distance was, that was disheartening. That's seven points. The second touchdown was on another third down, okay? And it's a wide-open guy again down the middle of the field. Like, those are not – that's not something Middlebury did. That's all self-inflicted wounds. You know, we handicapped 14 points in the first half. You know, when you think about – that's normally our best half of football defensively. And if you put together what we did in the second half and we don't give up two easy big play for – uh, for touchdowns, I mean, you're looking at a completely different dynamics and a, and completely, so you talk about one point, Yeah, like uh, one point don't lose you the game, one point don't win you the game. It's those plays before mm -hmm. it became a one-point game that gave that game, what gave the complexity of that game. It's scoring and not making your extra point, getting your extra point blocked. Like those are self-inflicted, things that Bates can control. Mm -hmm. Bates did not control that. And because we didn't control it, like playing our process and not forcing it and doing what we do, we we lost by one, unfortunately. Um, and again, with, with our opportunity to make it right in the second half, we had, we had to get a critical stop with one timeout 
which meant they couldn't get a first down. The base Bobcat Posse did that on defense. Um, two different occasions, they go three and out before that. And unfortunately, our offense just shot themselves in the foot with two penalties. And you got the ball last, and you start your drive off with two two penalties. You're looking at second and 15, third and 17. Like, that's not how you go and win a game. So um, just to double down on a one-point loss did not did not make the difference on whether we should go for two or not. Right. It was all of the things that led up to being a one-point loss. And then offensively, Costa finally really got broke free with his legs, ran for over 100 yards. What do you see from him in terms of not only passing for three touchdowns but also being able to run the ball quite a bit? Yeah, I, I think he's starting to trust his offensive line, trust his arm. I think if he starts to throw the ball like he did more often, um, more on time, more in rhythm, um, the coverage has to get deeper. The coverage has to drive on different concepts and routes. And um, it allows us to create plays for him in the run game. But if he's not letting the ball go and he's not throwing it on time, like, is I dare you to run. And if they're going to dare him to run and that's the only thing he results to when his drop back pass, it doesn't make it hard to defend him. But when he trusts his arm, he trusts the timing of the offense, his line trusts him, he trusts the line, and – he trusts the timing and the speed and the depth of routes and receivers. I think he has a dynamic arm. He has he's a dynamic runner, um, and I think the more the more acquainted he gets with our offense, the better he'll become, and the more dynamic he'll become. But that's a process in itself. Um, but I I was pleased that uh, our conversation earlier in the week was listen, man. If you go go down, let's go down throwing it. Let's be a gunslinger because if you go down and it ends in a pick, guess what? That means you you feel confident enough to let it rip to a position or to an area of the zone or to a receiver to say, I'm going to make the throw, opposed to having any doubt, hesitant, hesitant about the throw and then try to run with it. I, you know, that was a win, even though, it ended in a pick. It ended in how we talked about, if it's going to end, let's let it end with your arm. And um, the throw that he was going to make was wide open, but the linebacker made a heck of a play on it. Um, and that's when you have to be able to teach teach players, right? Teach players that this is another player who practices, and he made a play on you. Not that the read was wrong. None of everything that you did was right. But that's a learning moment. That's a lesson behind not what I would like to call a mistake, a lesson behind trusting your coaching, trusting your eyes, and trusting your ability, and trusting all that, and still it's still not working out. That's a learning lesson. The two deep touchdown passes, that one to Jackson Hayes was uh, quite the throw, I thought, and Hayes was just wide open. But Marcus Ross is catching traffic. I, I, I was like, I, I said out loud, I was watching the game, and like, he caught that? What did you see on the play? It was a beautiful thing to see our offense just click. Mm -hmm. You know, formationally, it's still the same. You know, pass plays are still the same, but you started to see them trust each other out there. And trust for an offense and timing is almost a handicap or the boost or the juice. And if you don't have it, it will handicap you. And you, if you have it, 
He gives you a boost of juice. And when he threw the deep ball to um, Jackson, he didn't necessarily see Jackson. He had to trust Jackson would be at the landmark. Mm -hmm. When he threw the ball to Ross two different occasions, the one for the touchdown in traffic, he had to throw it up at a di at a trajectory where he trusted Ross would go up and catch it. And it was in traffic. The second throw that he had to Ross, Ross was covered up and he was on a scramble and he threw Ross open. He trusted Ross to find the ball and the DB wouldn't find it. That's timing and trust. And that comes with time, you know what I mean? And I think they saw themselves get better this week. Um, our job is to double down on that, not take steps backwards, um, not to add more into our offense, but to double down and rep it more and more and more. The more reps that we can get at it, the more fluid we can read it, and the more fluid we can deliver it in, in hopes that it causes production like it did this week. What was your main message to the team right after the game's over? Because obviously they know they played better than they had the previous week, but at the same time, you know, still a one-point loss. Um, the message was, listen, we're not ready to beat an opponent because we're still beating ourselves. Like, the opponent, week in and week out, is it, they happen to wear another color. They have, it happens to register in the record book. But ultimately, like, it's not about what they do. It's about what we do. And we had the ball in the last quarter, two different occasions to go down and win the game. Um, and bottom line, we didn't. And we didn't because of what we did, not what they did. Um, the last touchdown, the third quarter touchdown, we gave up defensively. That was off of a three-penalty drive. So we gave up 35 yards almost just in penalties. Like, it's again, it's too hard to win to play an opponent and beat the opponent when you're playing against yourself and trying not to beat yourself. So the message is, listen, until we learn how to control ourselves and be disciplined in the fourth quarter or in the, the tight margins of a game like that, it can't ever be about beating another team if we're consistently beating ourselves. We are constantly playing against ourselves and, unfortunately, the culture that has been here for years. So, like... We have to beat the culture, and we have to be able to not beat ourselves. Or, in other words, like, beat the demons that we create by penalties, by not being disciplined, by lack of execution or focus. And someone also told me we haven't beat Middlebury in 30 years. Like, so that's a culture that we're playing against as well. So on top of playing against the team who is out to beat you, you have a culture that it's telling you you can't win. And you have to coach your mindset to say, like, I can do this in a critical moment, and that is on me to hold the line and not false start and not jump off sides and not lose my eyes and where they should be in my keys. That's all a process of learning, and unfortunately we're learning that process on live time. Well, this week, the CBB series starts with uh, Colby coming to town. Uh, Coach Cosgrove, you, of course, are familiar with him from your days um, playing at UMass, right? So what are your thoughts on squaring off with him and the Mules this weekend? Um, you know, I, I, I don't want to be as cliche, but it's, it's where we are. Um, we can't worry about, you know, Coach Cosgrove is going to put together a great game plan, I'm sure. Um, how they see our team will also be interesting. Um, 
But ultimately where we are, like we just can't, you know, one, we can't make this about the CBB, Mm -hmm. one, though that is a byproduct of where we are and what we do. This has to be about the culture that we're playing against and ourselves. Um, Kobe happens to be the team of the week. Um, The quarterback and running back are really good. Um, I think their offensive line is very scrappy. I think defensively they don't mind mixing it up, getting in your face at receiver and pressing you, playing some man coverage and blitzing you. Um, But outside of what they do schematically and us being prepared and preparing our kids for it, um, I really don't want to get into what our guys – um, what Kobe, what Kobe is because it's so many things that we're still finding out about ourselves that's more prevalent and, and more like uh, apparent in games that we just haven't clicked in those areas um, and that's the focus point for for now on out because if it's about the other team and we're beating ourselves then let's take care of ourselves You know, it's like mental health, like this is athletic health. Like we have to make sure that we can put the best mentally athletic, healthy team out there. And we can't do it if we're bogged down by their threats because they have threats. Mm -hmm. But we have some internal threats that we have to take care of to be competitive. All right, Coach Hall, thanks so much. Thank you. And again, it's a great day to be a Bobcat. Costa turned in a strong performance Saturday. But our male Bobcat of the Week is first-year wide receiver Jackson Hayes. He caught three passes for career-high 63 yards, and he hauled in his first career touchdown reception. We kind of just said we are going to throw a bomb downfield, going to test it out. Um, we were running a lot, um, and so we wanted to surprise him with a shot downfield. And uh, I guess I just called my name, and Acosta threw a, a good ball uh, right to the landmark, and I know it worked out. When you see that ball flying through the air, what's going through your mind? Uh, it, it had some hang time. It was definitely in the in the air for a while. Um, I was just trying to catch up to the ball. It felt like it was in the air for a, a few seconds. And, um, yeah, I was just trying to get under it. I was worried that I wasn't going to get under it. But I just kept going, and, and it was it happened. Lay it right in your hands, right? Yeah. Fairly easy. Right, right in the breadbasket. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, you know, as a first-year wide receiver coming in, how has your relationship with Costa developed in terms of developing that chemistry between QB and wide receiver? Uh yeah, I mean it's definitely it's definitely important chemistry to have chemistry between between the wide receivers um and the quarterback. Um and it's it's been pretty good. I felt like Costa has pretty good chemistry with the receivers. Um we eat together, uh we hang out together, um during practice we kinda talk what's open, what he sees, what we see. Um and that's kind of the key to having good chemistry and so we're still figuring it out, obviously. Um it's a new offense, so it's it's tough to have good chemistry with a new offense as well coming in. But um, it's definitely coming along, um, and I think we'll figure it out. You've also factored in the return game this year as well. Is that something you're used to doing from high school? Yeah, I returned kicked in high, re- returned kicks in high school. Um, yeah, it, it's it's a good time. We're still figuring that out too. Uh, well, tell us a little bit more about your time in high school. First of all, when did you start playing football? How did you get first get into it? And then um, when you got to high school, when did you realize you wanted to play in college? Yeah, I mean, I actually didn't start playing football, tackle football, until freshman year of high school. Uh, my parents were a little bit against uh, tackle football, um, and so luckily I had a great uh, I had a great high school coach who who convinced them to let me play. Um, and then, so yeah, I started playing freshman year. Um, I was on JV freshman year, and then sophomore year I got bumped up to varsity. Um, and that was kind of the first thing I started doing uh, was returning kicks. 
um, in high school before I really got on the field. Um, I played a little slot receiver. Well, and then when you decided you wanted to play in college and maybe what attracted you to Bates? I was originally going to try to play basketball in college, actually, um, and then I went to, like, a a camp, basically, and there was a lot of NESCAC schools there, and Bates was one of them. Um, and it was just a football camp, and I was like, oh, I might as well just go. Um, I really liked Bates, um, and then kind of just kept going through the recruiting process and ended up here. Being from California, coming to Maine, no, no problem for you? Or? No, actually, it's been a great transition. I thought it was, I thought it was going to be a lot harder than it's been. Um, the coaching staff is awesome. Everyone on the team is awesome. It's, it's made it a very easy transition, or a lot easier than what I expected. Um, so yeah, it's nice having a lot of people around that support you, campus that supports you, and like friends and and coaches that help you out along the way. Were you already familiar with the NESCAC growing up? I mean, being from the West Coast, or was it kind of new to you going through the recruiting process? It was definitely new to me. Um, I knew of some of the schools in the NESCAC, but I wasn't super familiar with kind of the networking between them and and how they compare. Um, so it, it was definitely I, I learned a lot through the recruiting process, um, looking at different schools. Um, but it's a really great league. It's I like how it's high academic um, and also very competitive athletically, and I think that's what's – it's a good good balance between the two. So growing up in California, who are some NFL players who you kind of admired uh, from a you know, playing perspective? Ooh, NFL. Uh, we didn't really have. I didn't really have an NFL team growing up until until my Rams are are undefeated now. So, right. so that's good. But um, I definitely like Todd Gurley. I don't really watch a lot of NFL. More more basketball. But, okay. um, but yeah, I, the Rams are doing well. So it's it's always good to hop on that that train. <laughs> For sure. Did you watch college football much? Or? Yeah, I, I'm a big UCLA fan. So. Okay. Uh, uh, they're, they're not having the best year this year, but, uh, yeah, both my parents went there, so I've been a UCLA fan uh, growing up. Um, so that's kind of my, my my football team would be UCLA. Gotcha. So not necessarily watching that much professional football, but as a wide receiver, is there anyone you model your game after? You're just trying to do it on, you know, your original Jackson Hayes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't really – I don't try to model my game off of anyone too much. One, because I kind of like being – who I am, and two, I just don't watch that much football. Um, so I definitely look at, I watch a lot of videos of like people running routes, but I wouldn't say there's someone who I would model my, my game after. Gotcha. So obviously the CBB series starts this week with Colby. I'm sure the upperclassmen have spoken much about this rivalry between Bates, Colby, and Bowden. Um, I mean, our goal hasn't really been like the state championship. It was kind of doing well the whole season. We don't really want to put too much weight mm-hmm. on a certain game or a certain couple of games. Honestly, uh, we're kind of taking taking it week by week. We're not really care. We're we're kind of worried about us. Um, I feel like, and the coaches feel like, and everyone who um, is kind of around the program feels like it, it's us who we're kind of beating ourselves. It's not really our opponents that are that are causing like some of the mistakes. It, it's more mental mistakes. And so, especially what we've been harking on this this past couple of weeks is kind of just focusing focusing on ourselves. Um, trying to eliminate some of those mental mistakes um, and kind of figuring out our offense, figuring out our defense and our special teams. So we're kind of more just focused on us, not really worrying about who we're playing, um, and that's kind of the goal that has been structured the past couple of weeks. Right, and that comes obviously from head coach Malik Hall. What's he been like as uh, the head man this year? Oh, he's been awesome. He He's really helped me out personally, just kind of with the transition football-wise. Um, he's really helped me out in all aspects. Um it's always nice having someone who has high energy. Um, he's always, like, he comes in and he just smiles, and, and you're just like, all right, it's going to be a good day. Um, his smile is definitely infectious. I was talking to one of my friends about it the other day. It just when he comes into the room, there's an energy um, and kind of an excitement 
um, to go out and play. The volleyball team improved to 12-7 and on the season by going 3-0 and over the weekend at the Hall of Fame tournament, defeating Smith, the Coast Guard Academy, and Bridgewater State. Senior Claire Naughton was named to the all-tournament team, thanks in part to her season-high 14 kills and six service aces against Coast Guard, and her seven kills, six digs, and two aces against Bridgewater State. Talking some Bates volleyball with Claire Naughton here on the Bobcast. And first of all, Claire, Hall of Fame tournament over the weekend, 3-0 and for the Bobcats over the course of two days. What was clicking so well for the team, you thought? It's just really fun to get to play that much volleyball back-to-back-to-back. You don't have a lot of time to think about what happened the point before or what you're going to do the next point. You're kind of just really in the moment and moving forward as best you can. And I think we just really, as a team, vibed and everyone was doing their job and doing it really well. And it was a really great atmosphere. Now you got a midweek match tonight, right? We're talking on Tuesday, tonight against Husson, and then, of course, the big NESCAC weekend. How are you going to use this match here on Tuesday to gear up for you know Amherst and Trinity? We like to look at every match as its own individual thing, and we never overlook any of our opponents. I think tonight is going to be a really big time for us to just kind of keep working on vibing and feeling good and working together as a team, and we're just really excited. We're coming up in our last few weeks of volleyball, and it's just every match that you get to play is such a privilege and such a gift, and so it's really exciting to get to keep going. You know, as a senior, you've gotten to see the program develop along with you know head coach Melissa Durant because your first year here was her first year here too, right? So how have you seen that growth? I think culturally she's done some really amazing things for the program. We are a team that every single day in the gym we're striving competitively to make everyone better. There's such camaraderie and there's such unity, but then there is also this a little bit of like I'm gonna out like I'm gonna outplay you, I'm gonna win this, I'm gonna win that. And I think that's what has really helped push this program forward is every person takes their job really seriously and they play with a lot of grit and a lot of heart and a lot of integrity. So you play at middle hitter. How does that maybe differ from the other attack positions like outside hitter and whatnot? Um, the big point of middle hitter is that you're running things a little quicker uh, and you're mostly trying to catch teams on their heels a little bit. So we've really been working on working our middles in transition and just being available all the time. And so I know that I and my other two middle hitters, uh, Angel Chipway and Riley Murphy, are working so hard every single day and our setters are great and work with us and just it's been really fun to try to be a more middle offensive team you mentioned a chipway she came in last year as a first year made a big impact right away what, what have you seen from her you know you're a little bit more experienced perhaps but what have you talked with her about what's going to take to continue her success here at Bates uh Angel's great she puts down a really heavy ball she's a really hard worker I think it'll be really exciting to see her grow and see her grow with the program and I don't know. We mostly just talk about how much fun it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, yeah, a lot of fun here, but also, obviously, you're 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 successfully uh, you know, academically all academic last year. Um, how do you balance, you know, the classroom and the dedication it takes for volleyball? I always say that my most productive semester is when I'm in season because mm-hmm. I don't have time to be anything but productive. Um, I really love playing volleyball, and I know that it's something I'm really lucky to get to do in a college setting, and so I take it really seriously to balance both my time in the gym working on my game and then my time like anywhere on campus trying to do homework. (laughs) Right, right. Well, tell us how you first got into volleyball growing up. Um, My high school, Darien High School, had a really successful volleyball program and I was always a really tall kid and in middle school the assistant coach subbed one of our classes and he came up to me at the end and he said, you're trying out for volleyball when you get to high school. And so that was that. (laughs) Uh, And I've played ever since and I love it. It's really shaped me as a person and shaped my work ethic and kind of how I view myself and how I value myself. And I'm 
really disappointed to be rounding up my time as a volleyball player. Well, speaking of that, I mean, being a senior, have you started looking at, you know, after graduation, what your th- thoughts are or anything? Um, that's a scary question. <laughs> Not um, as seriously as I should. Right now, I'm mostly trying to just get the most out of my last couple weeks of volleyball, and then I'm really going to buckle down and think about life afterwards. But for now, it's been kind of fun to just play volleyball and be with my teammates and be with my coach and have that really great atmosphere that we have in the gym. All right, Claire Naughton, thanks so much. Yeah, thank you so much. Next time on the Bates Bobcast, we'll recap the final week of the regular season for our soccer, field hockey, and volleyball programs, plus any NESCAC quarterfinal matches that may take place Saturday. We'll also talk about the football team's showdown with Colby and how our cross-country teams perform in the NESCAC championships taking place in Boston's Franklin Park on Saturday afternoon. All that and more next time on the Bates Bobcast.